At this morning's Bible study, we continued our our study of the book of Galatians and finished up Galatians. And we used as our text today um, a version of the Bible that was published uh, just a few years ago. And it's called simply The Message. It was um, translated, paraphrased in some parts, uh, by a man named Eugene Peterson, who just died last month, the end of October. Um, Eugene Peterson, in addition to being a biblical scholar, was a longtime uh, parish minister in the Presbyterian Church. And in 1963 or so, he was asked by the, the group around Baltimore to help found a new church in a northern suburb of Baltimore uh, called Bel Air, Maryland. And so Eugene Peterson began meeting with people and assembling them and, and worshiping with them and praying with them. And, uh, and before too long, they had enough people together and wanted to begin a new church. And then the hard part came, what to name the church? A lot of Presbyterian churches are named after their location, First Presbyterian Church or Mount Olivet Presbyterian Church or something like that. Covenant Presbyterian Church is a popular one. And they thought about this and they prayed about it and they talked with each other about where they, they understood themselves to be, um, to be led by God as this people worshiping together. And they came up with the name of Christ our King. Presbyterian Church. Christ our King. And that's what the church became and still is today in Bel Air, Maryland. And they named it that for a number of reasons. Um, They understood then that that part of of north of Baltimore was booming. Uh, A lot of people with a lot of money were moving into that area. And so the tendency was to to sort of think that all the world is onward and upward and we do it ourselves and if we work hard we can buy a great big house in the burbs and and live our life as we want to live it. And so this congregation was very intentional about reminding themselves that come what may, uh, whether success or failure or a mixture of the two, um, Christ not only is king, but Christ is their king. And so Christ our King was the name of that congregation. It's an important image. We call this Sunday Christ the King Sunday. Um, But in a way, it's Christ our King Sunday. uh, Because all of the scriptures invite us to think about that idea of of kingship. or, Or what does it mean to have someone rule our hearts it's probably a good thing for understanding the scriptures that our country is one with no king or queen. And in fact, we're most of us raised with a, a kind of um, antipathy toward the idea of a hereditary monarchy or any kind of monarch. Um, and yet here the image is in the scriptures sort of inviting us to think about it, to look at it, to enter into it. Uh, what does it mean to think of a king? What does it mean to think of Christ? as king or our king. In that first reading from the book of Daniel, there's some frightening images. There are fires and flames and beasts and burnings. There's all sorts of things in that book. There's conflict and warfare. But the end result is a kingdom of sorts, a kingdom that's glorious and everlasting and serves the ancient of days, this other name for God. 
The psalm also invokes the idea of a kingdom or a commonwealth as it invites us to sing the praises of the Lord God who is like a king, like a holy king. So mighty is our God that all creation rises up to praise and to worship. Even the waters themselves lift up their voices. Throughout the Revelation to John, there's the idea of God coming in power and to to end all things with um, a final note of love. And it gives hope to those scattered Christians who were being persecuted in the first century. But it also describes a kind of cosmic battle of good and evil, where the victory is so complete that even we, living much later, are absorbed into the victory. We too are become royals. And so the writer John gives glory to him who loves us and has freed us from all our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. It's a vision of victory that stretches to everyone, making each one of us Queens and kings, princes and princesses, people created in the image and likeness of God. And so all of that sort of leads the way to today's gospel, where Pontius Pilate is kind of scratching his head, uh, looking at Jesus and and saying, what kind of king are you? Pontius Pilate says, are you a king? Jesus is a little bit squirrely in his response. He says, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the authorities. But my kingdom is not from here. Jesus is saying to Pilate what Jesus has said throughout to his disciples, and they never seem to quite fully get it. That Jesus is a king of sorts, but a very different kind of king. All through the healings in the parables and the teachings, even as they enter Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover, there's confusion about what sort of kingdom Jesus is ushering in. He explains again and again that his kingdom is not so much what people are thinking, but it's something else entirely And then Jesus gives very simple, concrete, daily images. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, he says. It begins tiny and then grows into something big. The kingdom of God is like yeast used by a woman baking bread. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. The kingdom is here, Jesus says, but it's not over there. In other words, it's right where we are, right in the moment. How we perceive the kingdom of God, this commonwealth of God's love, will directly affect how we live out our faith. The church over time has understood the kingdom of God in a number of ways. Um, In some places, it has understood the kingdom of God as a goal for the here and now. And so the idea of Christendom was that there would be a civilization ruled by Christian kings following Christian laws and fighting Christian wars. It never ended very good. It allowed for the persecution of Jews and Muslims and anyone perceived not to fit into the prevailing understanding of what it meant to be Christian. There are, of course, still those who would have this nation be overtly Christian, whatever that means to them, with so-called Christian laws on the books. 
But often that means people who look and think and behave like them. It's a very narrow understanding of what it means to follow Christ. But again, Jesus says again and again, my kingdom is not of this world. Not in the past, not in the present, not in the future. Some have thought of the kingdom of God as way off in the future, far, far away. And so they've used that sense of a kingdom of God way away to, to tell those in this world, just hold on. One day everything will be okay. Don't worry if you're hungry or thirsty now. One day it'll be okay. Again, that's not what Jesus is talking about either. Instead, there's a sort of middle kingdom, as it were, a kingdom of absolutely now, a kingdom not away in heaven, but a kingdom of this unpredictable place of already and not yet. Jesus says, wherever there are signs of justice and hope and faith, there, there is the breaking in of the kingdom. It's only partial now. It's not yet fully realized, but there it is. It's beginning. Next Sunday, we enter into the season of Advent. And that whole season leading into Christmas gives us an opportunity to explore further what it means to to look at Christ coming into the world as a little child, but also for us to talk about what it means for the kingdom of God to be dawning on us very slowly, very faintly. The kingdom, in some sense, is Christ itself, Christ himself. As he reveals himself, the kingdom unfolds. The kingdom of God spreads out as we receive Christ and come to know him and continue to embody him in our world. As St. John realizes from the revelation, God has made us with Christ in us to be a kingdom, to be a commonwealth. And the kingdom that is us is not of this world. It's a kingdom of reversals. In Advent, we'll be talking about the Virgin Mary and especially her song, the Magnificat, the Song of Mary. In it, she sings about these reversals. She gets it early on that Jesus is turning everything upside down. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he's sent empty away. To live with Christ as king is to live with an awareness of this kind of reversal of all things. Christ's kingdom is one of welcome. When we read the Gospels, there's this wild array of people who come together in the presence of Christ. They, they hear him, they follow him, they make him their friend and their leader. Some are prostitutes, some are tax collectors, some are widows, some are soldiers, some are very rich, most are fairly poor. But they're all an unlikely group of people to meet anywhere else except in the presence of Christ That continues in our day. To live with Christ as king means that we welcome everyone. We welcome especially those with nowhere else to go. And finally, to follow Christ as king is to to live into a world of possibilities. It's to live with Christ as as expectation, as hope, uh, to live in faith. Ours is a kingdom of second chances and third chances and fourth and fifth and sixth chances. Every day is a new day in faith. 
especially on this day as the church gives thanks for Christ the King. We can be thankful that it's a kingdom that's been given to each of us to live out in our lives. May we receive this kingdom of reversals. May we open our doors with a kingdom of welcome. May we open our hearts and lives to a kingdom of possibilities. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.